This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. No, your ears aren't tricking you. That is David Bowie's Space Oddity. But Bowie fans will know that that's not the singer's voice calling out to Major Tom. This rendition comes from Chicago's Metropolitan Jazz Octet as part of their show, The Bowie Project. Commencing countdown engines on. Now, if you like jazz and Bowie, the group is performing this and other Bowie hits at Space in Evanston next Wednesday. The man commanding the mic from Ground Control is Paul Marinaro. Also with us is Jim Galloretto, co-founder of the Metropolitan Jazz Octet. Okay, Jim, you have to tell me how this particular project started because my guess is that you're all huge Bowie fans. Yeah, we're more so now than ever. The the Doing this project with Paul has revealed much more of uh, David Bowie's amazing career uh, than, than I had ever imagined. Uh, the group itself started back in the 50s with my, one of my mentors, Tom Hilliard. He had this band that happened from 1950 to 1980. And when I graduated college, uh, Tom, you know, uh, gave me his entire library of music, which was over 150 arrangements. And in 2014, we started to expand on that library. And we actually uh, did uh, an album with D. Alexander in 2014. And then we started working with Paul on this project after that. And it's mm. been a, a great ride ever since. Yeah, and we'll dig more into the history of, of this group for sure. But I'm curious if either of you remember the first time that you listened to Bowie and, and the kind of impression that his music had on you. You first, Paul. Oh, I definitely do. Uh, the first time I heard David Bowie was when Let's Dance came out. I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. uh, we had just moved into a new home, and it was the first time I had a new, uh, my own bedroom. And my father bought me uh, you know, one of those old consoles at a garage sale. And we got it set up in my room, and I turned it on. And the first thing I heard was the announcer saying, there's a brand new track uh, from David Bowie. And I remember even as a kid, we were a very musical family, so I think I zoomed in on uh, different aspects of music earlier than most. Um, mm. But I remember hearing that voice, and I was—I felt that it was uh, so unique and haunting. And, uh, you know, it just started me off, even uh, from that early age, kind of zooming in on, on his career and uh, even the late stuff. Um, right, right. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Well, I mean, I, I you know, just growing up, during you know the, the 70s, uh, I did hear Bowie, but I was more of a jazz nerd, so I I only was aware of his his biggest hits like uh -huh. you know Space Oddity and, but I tell you after uh, uh, working with Paul and, and digging into you know uh, Black Star David Bowie's last record uh, mm -hmm. and hearing uh, Donny McCaslin and, and just how that had some amazing jazz influence it just put me over the edge in terms of you know my interest in bowie and just kind of getting digging deeper into his writing yeah well you know bowie was obviously a, a jazz nerd like you like you said there right <laughs> yeah. you know in, in the number of interviews you hear him talk about his love of jazz right how, how do you think that this admiration for the genre influenced bowie's work i think uh i think 
it influenced him in as much that he was a free spirit. Uh, he, he didn't really create only for genre, even though he was a rock star. Uh, even some of his earlier album, Hunky Dory, you hear all different kinds of influences. You hear jazz influences, musical theater influences, uh, cabaret. Uh, so he really, he really kind of was, used a wide palette when he composed and within his own artistry. The jazz influences really came where you can hear them really came later uh, in his later albums when he really had nothing left to prove he he just was making the music that he wanted to make and of course on his last album is it was most fully realized on black star yeah well you do a fantastic interpretation of bowie's iconic voice what was it like figuring out exactly how you wanted your vocals to sound because i imagine you want to pay homage to bowie and his style while also trying to break new ground? Well, it was terrifying. <laughs> um, actually, it, it, initially, it was kind of a process and a journey for me. Uh, when this project, when we discussed this project, previously done one David Bowie song in my sets, and it was uh, from the Heathen album in 2002, uh, 515, The Angels Have Gone. I had worked out an arrangement uh, with my guitarist, Mike Alamana, because that song really had spoken to me at that time. Uh, never thinking I would do more Bowie. It was just a kind of a one-off. But it opened that door to think how I might interpret some of this music. And I think what made it work for me when I sent Bowie away, uh, in other words, the, the, the overwhelming, uh, iconic image of David Bowie and the artistry, I had to remove all of that. And, and approach his music really as I would with any other composer mm. um, and latch, latch on to the lyrics that spoke to me. Well, why don't we listen to another song that, that shows off your amazing voice, Paul? This is the, the Bowie classic, Changes. Turn and face the strange changes Don't want to be a richer man Different man, time may change me, but I can't trace time. Well, Jim, why don't you tell us about the work that went into the group's version of Changes? Right. So, the, you know, like like all of this album, we had to um, kind of tailor these arrangements, not just to what Paul what Paul, Paul's voice, but also what the compositions were like what the Bowie compositions were like. Matter of fact, when we were choosing which songs we wanted to um, arrange or reorchestrate, it really had to do with Paul's voice and how they would translate into the band, how, mm -hmm. the, how what the arrangements would sound like. Because you, you couldn't do certain things, they would sound a little silly. And uh, but I gotta say, it changes was challenging um, in that we didn't want to copy Bowie, but we also we didn't want to, you know, leave everything behind. Yeah, and, um, and Changes is one that's, I mean, millions of folks know that classic, right? Word for word, bar for bar. So what's that like adapting a song that's so loved and well-known? It's frightening because you don't want you want to you want to do it do it justice, and you also want to you know check off the boxes of it being 
appropriate for a, for, for a jazz ensemble, and also Paul's voice. And I think we hit the mark in that we just we just like listen to. You know, this uh, this song changes was arranged by myself, but I, I remember listening to the original, and just kind of like stepping away and going, okay, what do we? What would be the right thing to do for this song? And uh, and it was it was a delicate process, not something I you know went into lightly. It was uh, it was uh, a little frightening because you didn't I didn't want to get it wrong, and it, I'm really happy with this arrangement. Well, what was your favorite part of taking Bowie's music from? rock and roll and, and glam rock into jazz. I want to hear from both of you on this. Go first, Paul. I think um, what really thrilled me about this process was the realization that we were in different ways, but with a similar approach to how Bowie uh, did his music, allowed it to be what it needed to be. Um, he didn't create based on what a genre dictated. And we did the same thing. Uh, we agreed early on that uh, if jazz happened, it happened uh, through different ways. We didn't force it into a box that it didn't belong. So the music really defies genre, um, and it allowed us to create with a different palette. I know that I um, sang very differently on this and from a different approach than I would uh, with the music that I typically do. So it really was the same approach. He, he, he allowed music to exist outside of genre. And I think that's how we approach this as well. Well, you say you're saying differently. I'm curious, technically, what, what is that like for you when you're trying to channel Bowie? How do you do that as a singer? Well, the, the thing is, I didn't try to channel Bowie as a singer. I, I tried to tell his stories. I think the biggest um, difference for me is how I approached his lyrics. They're, they're very different than um, the typical lyrics that I would sing. Um, so I had to... I had to channel more of an emotional content uh, to tell the story uh, through my voice. So you hope that um, you find an audience, you know, if they're hardcore David Bowie fans, you hope you satisfy them with the respect that you gave to his lyrics. Your favorite part of, of these adaptations, Jim? Uh, for me, the process of writing music like this uh, is is... Is, is steeped in in Paul's voice, the lyric, and also what what the group sounds like. Uh, for this project and other projects that we've done, we've had an amazing team of arrangers. Uh, my my good friend John Cornegie, and a saxophonist in the group, is one of the lead arrangers for this album. We also had uh, we're lucky to work with Tom Matta, who was uh, on faculty at DePaul University. He did an arrangement for us, and. Um, you know, the process of creating, orchestrating and arranging for this kind of music is is fascinating. It's one of the, my favorite things to do is to try to take something like Bowie through Paul's voice, through the through the sound of the, the octet and create something uh, unique that honors, you know, Bowie, but also is an amazing experience to play. So, uh, Jim, you took us back to the beginning earlier on, you talked about the origin of this group going back to the 50s, right? And, and I'm curious if, if you could dig a little bit more into that, because we, we often see trios or quartets and not necessarily octets, right? So I'm curious if there's any particular reason for the eight-piece band. Yes. Um, the interesting thing about this 
this group is its history for me. It's, it's um, how it came to be. Back in the 50s, um, Tom Hilliard, when he started this group, um, put, you know, put together a group of arrangers and players of his generation. It's kind of what's happening now uh, with us. You know, um, uh, the, the arrangers in the group and the musicians are all colleagues, are all local Chicago musicians and arrangers. That's what Tom did back then. The idea behind using a, an octet is, is, strangely enough, it's about flexibility. Um, the octet, if you, if you arrange it a certain way, it sounds like a bigger group. It sounds like a big band, like a 15-piece band. Right. If you approach, if you approach it uh, from a slightly different point of view, it sounds like a chamber group or, or like a larger quartet or a sextet. Or, you know, it kind of gives you more detail and intimacy. Um, so we have all those things that are, at, at, you know, at, at our fingertips in terms of arranging. Tom knew that uh, if, when we were digging through his, his, uh, his library of music, we discovered all kinds of amazing experimental music, really traditional jazz, but all of it was, you know, had that sound of the octet. Uh, I should note that um, for this particular album, we expanded the octet to add vibraphone, um, mm. which is a beautiful, uh, very celestial kind of instrument, perfect for David Bowie. Matter of fact, a good friend of mine from New York, Mike Freeman, a Latin vibist, uh, we flew him in to, the, to to record with us and perform with us. Uh, you'll hear a good, my, our good friend Joe Sonnefeld playing vibes with us on Wednesday. Nice. Uh, but that sound of vibes just adds to the color and just to the shimmer of, of Bowie's music. Well, it was just a good addition, yeah. Speaking of that vibraphone, I want to hear another track from the Bowie Project. This is Life on Mars. This interpretation is, is super cool. The marimba, the vibraphone, as we mentioned, the mallets, you know, the singing on this one. It, it, this is a track that is one of those Bowie songs that really showcases his sense of theatricality. To me, when I hear this track, it sounds to me that you worked to capture that in a new way. Is that right? Yes, uh, and not just this track, but uh, throughout. What was important for me uh, to do this recording and, and, and the band agreed was that this not be an album of David Bowie's greatest hits. Uh, we wanted it to stand alone as, uh, if you didn't realize it was a, who David Bowie was or, or if that it was a David Bowie um, album of, of his songs that they would have a common theme that there's something threading them all together so the album plays as an old-fashioned concept album yeah. so and, and it culminates with life on mars uh, that was that was always my intent to have that as the last track um because it's just a culmination of where the journey that he took 
took us on uh, in his music. There was so many, and as we as we picked the songs, there were so many common themes, particularly when we recorded this um, was right post pandemic. So common themes of uh, loneliness, of isolation, of dissonance, uh, of of a changing world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked all those questions, um, seldom gave answers to them, but posed a lot of questions, and uh, I I loved that. So it was perfect for me to close with that question: Is there life on Mars? Any plans to reinterpret the work of other musicians in jazz? I'm, I'm thinking maybe Prince. I would love to see what you could do with that. That's a good idea. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Paul? Can, can you do that Prince falsetto? No, I can't. <laughs> uh, I could do something different. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, but it's certainly it's certainly possible. I think having done this project, um, it's the most uh, unique and very different thing that I've done. Uh, but it does open that door, you know, to to realize that it's possible. While we have you folks with us, tell us more about your show at Space next Wednesday on the on the 10th. What can people expect? Well, this is our first time uh, performing at Space, um, and I'm super excited. I've listened to shows there many times. It's a great listening room. Um, everything I've heard there sounds beautiful. I'm, I think this this ensemble will really resonate in the, in in that in that uh, venue. And I, I think adding to what Jim was saying, you know, it's. It's been really fascinating to see how people respond to this. A large part of my fan base, I would say, um, were only peripherally aware of David Bowie, if at all. Um, And those who are aware of David Bowie would never have expected to hear me sing it. Uh, Mm -hmm. All all different uh, facets of that, the range from people who had never heard David Bowie to diehard fans, have found something in this music, you can just really enjoy the creativity of it. The band, um, the arrangements are marvelous. Yeah, and, you do a fabulous uh, job. Yeah, thank you. And and whether you know David Bowie or not, I think the music speaks uh, speaks by itself. Uh, and just people have to be open-minded to hearing something a little different. Uh, so whether they are hardcore David Bowie fans uh, or never heard him at all, I think they'll find something here. And those hardcore David Bowie fans that that we've encountered uh, were initially a little hesitant or maybe, you know, really curious. Um, but I think the ones that we've encountered, they, they were appreciative that we respected this music enough to do this because that's really what it was about. If we didn't respect music, we wouldn't have tried to do uh, to do this. Well, we've been speaking with Jim Gallaretto, who is one of the co-founders of the Metropolitan Jazz Octet, and Paul Marinero, who's vocalist for the group's Bowie Project, which you can hear live at Space in Evanston next Wednesday. Thank you both so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yes.